Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. And before we get started, I'd like to thank Joshua in Coppell. Joshua is a longtime listener of the show. Joshua, thanks for listening. Today, I have a great guest. His name is Gavin Zuklinski. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on here. I'm excited to have you. He comes to us from Pennsylvania. He used to be in New York City. We'll chat about that a little bit. But Gavin is the founder of Acuity Scheduling, and that's an online tool for businesses to automate and manage their appointments, businesses and solopreneurs. Uh, it allows uh, clients to schedule themselves. Uh, Gavin is a self-professed tech geek and espresso maniac. That's something he uses not very lightly to describe himself. Uh, and he wholeheartedly believes that business should be fun. We're going to touch on that as well, how he's managed to keep the fun in this business that has grown to what it is today. Acuity Scheduling supports over 50,000 businesses of all sizes, from people working for themselves, like a massage therapist, let's say, to major corporations with thousands of employees. Uh, as I mentioned, he lives in Pennsylvania with his family. And in today's episode, we're going to chat about his entrepreneurial journey and then dive into this business, which started as what we now nowadays call a side hustle. He had his full-time job while he first started this. We'll talk about that story and then how that evolved to being his full-time business now. So once again, Gavin Zuklinski, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on here again. My pleasure. My pleasure. So let's uh, let's walk through the the journey a little bit, if we could, Gavin. Uh, your career after school? Did, did were you in software development? Tell me a little bit about what you were doing after school. Oh yeah, you're making me think back there. So <laughs> it's uh, not that far back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I started out doing software development after school. I was I was working with the government, and then sort of in the part time too, I had a uh, web development business. So I've always been a techier person. And while I was doing that, that's kind of where Acuity was born out of. So I had my day job what was doing, you know, development and some really interesting techie things. And then for my evening job, um, which was really just another more creative outlet, I wanted something that was fun. And so I did web development for a bunch of small businesses. And then, uh, and then eventually my mom, we were in the car together on this long kind of boring journey and got to chatting and, and listening to her take calls from clients. She's a massage therapist and she was spending so much time going back and forth with clients, listening to all of their crazy excuses about why they need to cancel or reschedule or trying to find a convenient time. And I felt like there had to be a better way. So that's where Acuity is born out of something to help small businesses like herself uh, more easily offer and manage appointments online and I originally had kind of, you know, released Acuity out there into the world as a hope that I would get more clients for my web development business, and that completely flopped. But the <laughs> Acuity as a standalone product ended up doing pretty darn well. So was the the first version for which your mom was the first client, was that 2006 range? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Around, around 2006. And so b before that, you, what you were doing on the side web development, you're saying it was mostly because you enjoyed it and, and to have fun, or was it about wanting to at some point be your own boss back back then before Acuity? 
Yeah, so I feel like I'm one of those weird folks when it comes to a side project, because even when I was with the government and I had Acuity and Acuity was doing really well, I didn't want to leave my day job. I really liked it. I really liked having the balance of the two things. So even back then when I started it, um, it's just because I love to build things and I love to see people actually using projects uh, or my products. And so it was never intended to be my full-time job. But to be honest, I didn't give it hard thought because if I had given it hard thought, I would have realized that, you know, eventually when things become successful, you really do have to make the decision about how seriously you want to pursue them, which is kind of a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting to me. You were very happy in your job mm -hmm. uh, and very uh, fulfilled. It was, I'm sure, demanding, intellectual, creative-wise. Um, would, do you think you would have stayed uh, working for the government or someone else if this acu acuity thing hadn't taken off like it has? Oh, yeah, 100%. So I'm very grateful that the work that I was doing with the government was something very, very unique. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting to see the corporate world versus the government where uh, it the work has just like this inherent motivation to it, like no matter how terrible some of the managers were and the bosses and the worst falling apart types of buildings and everything else, there's just an extreme like um, team feeling and just like positivity and like you actually have a real mission uh, as opposed to just making money. And that's the thing that I really loved and trying to keep that in the back of my mind too as we're building out the company um, to have an actual like good happy team. And I did stay with that day job for quite a while. So Acuity was founded around 2006. I absolutely stayed with the government as long as I possibly could until I was getting so stressed out and so overworked that I was forced to make a decision. And that came around 2013. Why not uh, have sold Acuity or have somebody else take it over and have kept your job? Yeah. And great question. I kind of tried that. So when it was getting to that point, when it was getting so busy that I really had to make that choice, um, I looked at what I was spending the most of my time off of. And like one of the most frustrating things was with customer support. Um, I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, it was sucking up so much of my time. And I was really terrible at it because my day job, I, you know, I couldn't just hop on and start answering emails from people. Um, so I tried to hire somebody for customer support. But if you're hiring other people for that, um, you, uh, y you really have to help them. And then, so not being available during the day was not a good solution to that. So right. I, I did try that outsourcing it, um, selling it too. the, my, the other alternative I looked at wasn't selling it because acuity was doing well, but not, you know, yeah. crazy well that I would have made a lot. Um, it was, I think it was around 20,000 a month at that time. Um, and my, the other alternative I looked at was just, you know, letting it ride and then right. just sort of, you know, forgetting customer support, forgetting those things that frustrated me. And I just, my personality, I just can't do that. I want people to have a good experience and that would have pained me to see. Yeah. So how do you now get out of the business, what you were getting from that job in the government, you know, that, so that fulfillment, what is it now besides the obvious of being an owner, but how do you, how did you replace that? What do you think it is now about the business and what you do that gives you that same level of fulfillment? 
that is a tough thing to replace. And that's something where when I left my day job, it was something that I absolutely loved. And I vowed to myself to keep acuity as something that I would really enjoy going into every day, yeah. um, just like I did with the government. And that's a whole lot harder than it sounds. It's really obvious to everybody, but then you get stuck when you get into business. You get stuck doing all of these things that um, maybe you just dislike, but you realize are necessary parts of the business. If I get too into the weeds with um, you know, customer support, trying to you know, assuage somebody who might be a little bit more frustrated or trying to work on things on the legal side and all of this crazy stuff. So, you know, dealing with um, personnel issues, which uh, definitely not, not my favorite thing to do, but absolutely necessary for a successful business. It's important to me to step back and think about the things that um, I really enjoy. And um, often the things that I enjoy are really aligned with what makes the business great. So to me, that's making sure that I can spend a good part of my day on building something new and making things better. Um, since I feel like that's a more creative outlet, looking at the product, looking at the customers, you know, trying to solve problems, you know, working on design and software and everything else. Um, and not just trying to focus on those things like, you know, I don't know if you're dealing with sales taxes and Wayfair and all of that <laughs> stuff is not very fun, but a right. necessary part. So I try to outsource and minimize those things that I dislike and focus on the ones that I do like, which are really aligned with, um, with thankfully with uh, the success of the business too. Yeah. And, and keeping it, like you've said, keeping it fun. Do you, do you periodically just check yourself to see, am I having fun? How, how do you do that? Because to your point, when you're building a business, especially as rapidly as yours has grown, relatively speaking, you, you mm -hmm. can find yourself looking up one day and saying, oh my gosh, I'm doing all the stuff I did, never wanted to do. So how, how do you keep that in check? I'm curious. Oh my gosh. And you are totally right. That happens way too often. Um, and the, the, Single biggest thing that I've found that helps keep me in check is by limiting my hours and taking okay. time off. Um, before, you know, shortly after you go from um, a part-time job, which is fantastic, so that every minute that you're spending on your side hustle, as you called it, is extremely valuable time. You've thought through things and you're focused on getting right to work. Once it goes from that to a full-time job, there's a big change where you have all the time in the world. Um, and you sort of, you know, you expand everything you're doing to fill it up. When I first started, I was like, there's no way I can spend more than six hours a day on this. And then I'd find myself working 12 or 14 hours. Um, and that's when it comes to that, that's the time when I find myself getting carried away. Yeah. Um, so uh, thankfully, about a year and a half ago, my son was born and I took paternity leave. I took a month off. Um, but the employees and everybody else handle everything else to the day to day. And that was one of the absolutely best times because during that time for paternity leave, I took off, I did a lot of reading and reflecting and just having that time off really helped me focus. So since then, I am very strict about trying to work only eight hours a day. And if I work more one day, work less the next day, um, and really time boxing myself in there has helped make sure that I, you know, focus and constrain. And when it comes down to having a limited amount of time, getting rid of all of those things in that that might you know expand that time into something else um like the legal bits like the management bits and it forces me to do some things that i might not be comfortable with otherwise yeah that's wonderful um what do you think are some of the key things that allowed you to take that month off and the place didn't fall apart <laughs> well uh about that time i think we had 20 some odd people 
And uh, I, we have a really awesome culture internally. Everybody is really, you know, happy. Everybody seems really involved in trying to empower people to, you know, think for themselves and hopefully not just get into the rote patterns of things. So because of that, I realized some of the things that we had done really well, uh, which was making people feel like they could, you know, make decisions on their own and making sure that, um, you know, things were stable and reliable on the technical side, making sure that we had a backlog filled with things, um, and just frankly, just trusting people. Um, because we have a remote company too, so everybody is working from all around the world, all around the US, from all different locations. Um, because of that, we are forced to really trust the people that we hire to manage the day themselves and not look over their shoulder. I think that was probably one of the biggest things that helped me so that when I took a month off, we already had the good patterns in place. Um, the yeah. only things that I didn't do as well was I, you know, really micromanaged the project, the product and like what features and things go into there and customer feedback and, and how that translates into development. Um, and then that's probably the, the biggest area because when you take time off it, all those day-to-day -day things like we were talking about that take up your time, you get to see which ones are really important, which ones people can ignore, and then which ones are really critical too. Sure. But but I think you can live, Gavin, with you still being critical path on the development of the product because that that's you know other than customer facing and getting a feel, which which is kind of what mm -hmm. it goes hand in hand. That's what you're developing, right? That's what you're building. So that that's not as bad. It's all the other stuff. It's the day to day <laughs> stuff that they they weren't sitting around waiting for Gavin or having to call Gavin, right? Yeah, hold on. I think I think that there's actually like a good um, good subtle point there. Because it's not necessarily the day-to-day -day on the product. It's making right. sure that I think the right role for me is to really like set, you know, product vision and that type of crap. Um, but yeah. not necessarily dealing with like the explicit roadmap of like, hey, let's pay down technical debt here. Let's prioritize this bug fix over this small feature. Um, mm -hmm. I really want other people besides myself to be able to do that too. So that I can yeah. focus on some bigger things. And like we were talking about, step away because otherwise you can get a product that is just in a rut and, you know, never develops with the times too, because you're too focused on, uh, I think you can almost be too focused on, you know, customers and immediate feedback and almost fighting those, you know, fires instead of thinking long term too. Interesting. Yeah. You know, to that point, I'm curious, I, I have a, a side, one of my businesses is a software company and mm -hmm. it's such a challenge to to build and support a software company. But one thing you point at is an interesting one that I'd love to get your thoughts on. You're trying to balance the needs and demands of those existing customers, especially you tend to have a you know a small group that's rather vocal mm -hmm. and serving them versus you know you've got to move the product in a certain direction to keep it viable in the marketplace. How, how do you balance those two things that are pulling at you, if I'm explaining it correctly? Yeah, and you're right. That is such a hard thing. We uh, When we started out, we're so close to our customers through our right. customer support. Uh, but when you step back and you look at customer support, you're getting people who are at the fringes of who you're doing a good job for. The people who mm. your product is serving perfectly are mm. generally really happy with it and not emailing into customer support. So we've had to try to expand out and look at all of the different information we possibly can to try to figure out the best ways to develop the product. So we do 
you know, still listen a lot to customer support and what's coming through. But in addition to that, we've started doing a lot more surveys to our whole user base, looking at things in aggregate, trying to get a good feel for who the customers are so that when they come through in support and some of those areas where folks can be, you know, like a little bit more vocal beyond um, (laughs) necessarily how, you know, how important something is that we can see, like, do they sort of match that filter for who our customer really is? Um, And then also going out, looking on social media, looking on reviews sites and everything else to try to get a good feel. Um, But and then recently, too, the other thing is, you know, trying to not just listen to what people are explicitly asking for, but really digging down into, you know, what they really want. And I feel like everybody sort of says that thing, you you hear that type of statement a lot, but actually doing it is so much harder. Um, Imagine. Yeah, it's that, especially for a software product, understanding that difference between who, you know, uh, really like who your customers are, who you're trying to help and what that direction of the product is. Um, So just recently for us, um, Acuity, once you get a technical product too, um, there's a history behind there and people are definitely resistant to giant amounts of change. Um, So to try to, you know, help ourselves that we can still innovating going forward. We're actually introducing a new product really soon that is taking a lot of those ideas and those things that we heard and doing something, you know, totally radically different um, so that we can give ourselves a new platform um, to do some experiments on. And if things work out well, maybe the product will take off um, or we can take some of those great ideas that are proven out and just really, um, wild compared to what we do in acuity and bring those back into acuity also interesting yeah so it'll be a concurrent uh release if you will platform that Mm -hmm. allows you to do things that you that the current platform has constraints as all all platforms do Mm -hmm. this is a completely different platform that allows you to try some new things is that is that am i understanding that right yeah, yeah, exactly. So where Acuity is really focused on appointment scheduling for small businesses, we see right. time and time again, people using Acuity as like their day-to-day calendar and just loving the flexibility of it. So we're I trying see. to step back and okay. do that. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. One more question back to when you did decide, oh, wait, it was time. I've got to choose here. I'm going to leave the job that I, you were so fulfilled in. This is, this is not a typical story, right? Most people <laughs> and most of the listeners, including myself, were, we desperately wanted to get out of the corporate world. But anyway, when you made that decision, thinking back to it, uh, and what year was that anyway? to give us a point of reference here. Yeah, that was that was 2013 when I okay. went from, you know, part-time to full-time with Acuity. Yeah. But thinking back to then Gavin, what what was the biggest fear or worry that you had back then about making that move, letting go of your job and going to Acuity full-time? Oh my gosh, there are so many fears with that. Um, I had gone with Acuity for a long enough time that it was profitable. So the one fear that it didn't have um, was money. I wasn't jumping into something where I'd have to take a giant pay cut necessarily. I was still very comfortable there. And that helped me. Um, I guess my big fear was when I go from you know a side project to something full time, it's this long-term stability. So there's always this fear, and we kind of got into that with the product side. Um, My biggest fear with the company isn't that, you know, things will blow up one day in a dramatic fashion, but it's instead 
growth will slow down and trickle down and it'll be a long, slow death of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really want to build something that lasts for decades to come and I'm not building something just to sell. Um, so that fear is like an incredibly real one. And there's this, you know, the way that we're trying to combat that is by always growing the product, always improving um, and trying to, you know, find new ways to innovate just because that I have this lingering fear in the back of my head that things are going to be, you know, just you know, sort of fizzle out in a slow, non-dramatic way. And then the... Why does that, why did that scare you? Is it, was it because that meant that you would just be not challenged and wasting away, if you will, for dramatic purposes? And what was that, what was it about that that was so scary? Yeah. Um, I think it's because there's that choice of, you know, if things skyrocket. I re- so I really chose, I guess it gets back to why I chose Acuity over my day job, because I could have equally well have killed Acuity um, since I really loved doing both of them. But I chose Acuity mm-hmm. because it felt like it had so much more potential for my future. Right? I'd be able to grow and control things and um, move really quickly. Um, but if that didn't happen, if that ended up, you know, maybe I grow a whole ton, but then, you know, absolutely fizzle out. Um, I could have had a better future, you know, inside of the government. And it's that decision that, you know, five, 10 years down the line, you really can't go back to and, you know, say, oh, let me go back to the government and start my career over again. Yeah. So I think that's that. So it's a little bit of fear, fear of missing out then of what might have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great way to say it. Interesting. Because it's it, in a way, it's a what that fear, it's interesting that you were able to separate money from it. You were fortunate that the money was there. And that's often a big barrier for all of us who are looking to make that mm-hmm. transition. But really, when that was removed, it seems like the real fear, which we all face, was that, well, what if that doesn't work out? And I gave up this great opportunity job-wise. Most of us have a further fear of the security of it. You had it mm-hmm. in a different way, but it's always very curious. That's why I'm, I'm asking those questions. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. And I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing. And often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. All right. So the other opportunity you had, which I think is so fantastic, and I always recommend this whenever possible with most businesses, some lend itself more than others, a software business does, which is the iterative approach of developing something. You had, as you've explained before, and I'd like you to speak to, one specific customer that you developed something for that was your mom, Mm -hmm. and then you were able to iterate. Tell us about that process and how powerful that is in developing something like what you've ended up with. Yeah, and that is the absolute key thing to, you know, combating that one fear too, is that, you know, to stop yourself from fizzling out, you need to keep improving and moving forward because especially in software too, if you're not moving uh, fast enough or not moving in the right direction too, which is a key one, you'll absolutely 100% fizzle out. So we wanted to make sure that um, 
acuity was always moving in the right direction um, and always moving, you know, forward too. So that right direction really depends on who our customers are and that feedback that we're developing things that are really great for them and that resonates with them and just doesn't come from my mind too. So early on, I realized I am not my customer. I use Acuity to book meetings for myself, but my customers are really um, small businesses whose day-to-day revolve around appointments and they make money from those appointments. So those are people like my mom, a massage therapist. So having that really concrete person to look at helped um, helped me focus on the features that would uh, help them best. So even though I use Acuity to manage my meetings, um, I realized that things like having subscriptions in there so that she could, you know, people could get uh, monthly massage um, uh, bookings and, and things like that, where they'd be automatically charged going was so much more important than any of the features that I wanted, because it's something that helped her make money too. Yeah. So yeah, so getting back into that early on, we realized because we're not our customers, all our ideas cannot come from ourselves. And Getting feedback was absolutely critical. So we focused a lot on customer support um, and customer support has a whole bunch of custom developed tools that we've created um, to try to send feedback back. And we look through all the feedback. We try to marry that up with who the customers are and what they're asking for and identify trends and all that, which really um, identifies a roadmap. And we release things quickly. We're doing like multiple updates a day on the product. Um, it, we're able to do live updates on things. So there's, you know, we, we have, you know, large customers often as part of their purchasing process, will ask like, Hey, what version of your product is it? And we're like, Oh Jesus, uh, we don't know. Like version 1.0. It's uh, <laughs> we, we don't have version numbers or anything else. Um, but it is absolutely rapidly changing and fixing bugs and, you know, making improvements to the product. Um, is such a key thing so that we can keep getting better and never stagnate. Yeah. How, how do you balance, Gavin? So th- that's fantastic, the way you've developed it, of course, and you're close to the customer. They're driving what, mm-hmm. what's coming next, where to expand it. But but often, as you touched on already, and like perhaps you're doing to an extent with this second platform, you have to go beyond what even your customers know they need sometimes, right? You're kind of looking into the crystal ball, whether it's because of technologies or things that you're seeing in other industries. And you Mm -hmm. have to make that decision uh, about going in a certain direction, even though the popular uh, input isn't necessarily in agreement. Do you make those decisions yourself? How do you go about making those hard decisions about where you're going to pivot or maybe adjust the course of your business? Yeah, the, I mean, those decisions squarely fall on me. Um, so we try to experiment and iterate whenever we can, but having that idea of who our customers are makes things a little bit easier because uh, often we'll, you know, we'll hear from a lot of people whose maybe day-to-day doesn't revolve around, um, you know, making money off of their appointments. And so mm-hmm. we had so many of those people actually a while back who just chose us because our prices were stupidly low. We are very efficient business, so we're profitable with them. Um, but we had all of these wrong people for our business who weren't happy with acuity coming in just because we were cheap. So one of those hard decisions was we actually raised our prices that we would be more in line with the value that people who are our core customers expected us to be. Um, And honestly, scare away a lot of those people who weren't happy, but choosing us just because we were way too cheap. 
Yeah, that's such a great example. I I, I have to believe you. Uh, there were some sleepless nights trying to make that decision. <laughs> yeah, and for that one too, we uh, we hired a fantastic outside pricing consultant because I really needed just some extra an extra set of eyes to figure out what is that right price? How can we really get those customers look at everything else out there, which was a really time consuming process. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's a great example. What, what uh, looking back now, after you made this transition and a couple years into it, what were some of the skills that you did not have having been in the corporate and public sector mm-hmm. environment that you had to develop or that you had to get help for? Yeah, so I am a techie guy by nature. So thankfully, all the technical bits dealing with servers and code, very, very natural. Um, The very first skill that I had to develop was customer service, because like we talked about, so key to developing the product. Um, The next bit was um, abstracting some of that away from myself. So hiring folks to take over customer service and dealing with training, but especially managing people. Um, And then that, you know, that was really around, you know, up to, you know, 10, 15 people, I was still able to stay involved technically and stay very hands-on with customer support. Um, But having, you know, some of that people stuff could stay away. Around that, you know, 15 to 30 people mark was when I had to really become serious about stepping away more from the technical bits, stepping away more from, you know, uh, micromanaging even like the support side and everything else and realizing that I have to get a lot better as a manager um, and feeling comfortable delegating away and get getting people around me who are a lot better at some of those areas than I was. Um, like I kind of alluded to, managing people, not my favorite bit, um, but something so critical to a company as it grows. Um, so I realized that that's something that I frankly just will never be as good at as a lot of other people. So hiring in those people who I know can deal um, and manage people a lot better than myself has really helped me uh, grow both as you know a manager of the company as a whole um, and focus on those higher leverage bits um, like the product. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. It makes a lot of sense. Is it also why you are you stay fairly lean from a number of employees' perspective, or that maybe that's just part of it? That's probably just an overall uh-huh. philosophy you have about how you build a business. Um, yeah, that's totally as true. far as not you know not hiring a bunch of people, yeah. or is it that I mean, are you looking for those people that that are willing to take on more than than typical? You have a very um, physically. They're, they're all over the place, right? They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't congregate in one office. But tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so that probably is. I don't know. Do you, do you find this that when you talk to other business owners, probably one of the first questions they ask you is like, well, how many employees do you have? Right. It's like this measure, this arbitrary measure of uh, size or success. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess maybe it's more polite than asking how much revenue I have. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I find I, I have met a lot of, you know, uh, business owners who it's just like that, you know, competitive part of them, it seems like they hire mm. just to get more people, not because they necessarily need it. Interesting. Whereas you're right, because I dislike that part of my job. I'm not aggressively looking to hire people even when we can afford it. Um, because I don't that it, it's something that doesn't that I just don't identify with. And I know won't make me happier by just having people just for the sake of having them just because we can afford them. Um, so it is one of those things that I feel like I don't lean that direction when I have met many other business owners who probably do lean that direction. Yeah. But it must mean, Gavin, that you don't 
you probably don't throw people at a problem. You try to either streamline or apply systems or fix something as opposed to, well, let's just hire another admin, let's say. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that really gets back into that, um, you know, that feedback loop from support and everything else, um, because that's one of those big areas that it's so easy to throw people at, but you get really repetitive tasks. So we are really aggressive at removing that, um, you know, having that introspective time, trying to automate away a lot of those types of things. Um, sometimes being a little bit more strict, like we, uh, we don't do enterprise sales, which means no salespeople getting on the phones, doing meetings, you know, responding to RFPs or anything else. So by eliminating that large part, we mm-hmm. probably do cut away a lot of customers, maybe some pro- uh, profit and things like that. But it does help us stay extremely lean, too. So as an entrepreneur now, as a business owner now, you know, freedom of location is big to you. Obviously, the freedom of time. We just talked about that. You took time off when you had your son. Uh, are those the primary things and what else drives you? What, is, what else is it that you get from being a business owner that you enjoy? Oh, there's so many things. I like the flexibility. I probably the the biggest thing that I like in my role now um, as owner of Acuity versus my government job is being able to jump through a bunch of different areas. You know, not being stuck into one really specific part in the job, but realizing that as the company grows, my role has to keep changing. And I really love that part. Like I do actually really like growing and becoming more of a manager than just a technical person um, and learning more about, you know, organizational structure and everything else. And that it, it keeps me constantly challenged. And that's probably the the biggest thing that keeps me motivated. And um, I, I didn't realize it, but it turns out I am pretty competitive too. So I like growing the, <laughs> growing the business um, just to, you know, keep helping more people around and realizing that things are changing and getting better and really just challenging myself too. So do you think you would have hit a wall on those things if you had stayed in the corporate or government job? I'm not sure. That's that's a big question. I was I was pretty good at my job back then, so I'm sure I would have grown, but I don't think it would have changed as rapidly as it did um, with Acuity. You know, dealing with things on the fly, you know, I've learned a whole lot from, you know, our legal and accountants and um, all the people surrounding me that I would have never gotten exposure to in the bigger job. So, you know, having that flexibility and thankfully loving to learn those types of things. And even though, you know, sales tax and Wayfair and all of that is a really terrible <laughs> thing that that I don't necessarily enjoy dealing with day to day. I love learning about it so that I can get that high level and get those right people who are uh, in my network and outsource it to the right people who can help me solve those problems. Um, and that type of thing I would not have had at the government. Yeah, fair enough. We touched on this earlier. How, how do you actively keep things fun? How do you make sure that you're having fun and that the work environment is fun? And at the, <laughs> But at the same time, you know, it's a serious business. You got people that are depending on you. You got phone calls to answer. You got customers to answer to. So how do you balance that so that it doesn't become too casual, but that it's a fun environment to work in? Yeah, you're totally right. So probably the biggest thing that makes it easy is just having a profitable company um, because I'm not looking to pinch every little penny. Mm. Um, I want people who... I am happiest when I'm around people who are happy and enjoy their jobs. So getting rid of all of those like boring rote tasks that we possibly can um, so that people can focus on the creative things I think attracts that right type of person. 
And um, yeah, we're just, we don't take ourselves too seriously when it comes to it. Just keeping things casual, um, especially with like on the dev side and support and everything else, just staying so focused on the customer um, and making sure that we can keep them happy and not just pinching pennies, um, getting together in person and just realizing that behind the scenes, we're all human and trying to share that with our customers. So we do that through our copy. We do that by letting everybody, you know, really just speak how they would speak to a friend instead of having, you know, this really stiff type of corporate speak when we're um, talking to customers. Um, And just I, on the developer side too, we don't have crazy deadlines. We're not adding this. I feel like a lot of the things that make business terrible um, are just these like self-imposed types of silly types of structures that really come out of a lack of trust. This, you know, enforcing the same type of language, you know, enforcing these really arbitrary deadlines. It's like you don't trust the people to know what's right. So I feel like by trusting people, we're able to eliminate a lot of those types of overly strict things um, and trust that they're doing the best for the company and the best for our customers too. Yeah, that's that's a great example. Since you all are remote, how do you keep it so that you feel connected? Are there things you do, events? uh, How do you keep it so you feel like a group? Oh, yeah. And that's when you're remote, you have to be very intentional about that. There's no randomly running into somebody in the office kitchen or anything else. Um, We do, uh, we use Slack for chatting all the time, um, but then also make sure that we have lots meetings every single day, not necessarily because we have to have meetings, but to get people, you know, talking with each other, Um, being very intentional about, you know, mixing it up so that you're talking to different people that you have unstructured time during these types of things that you can just chat. Um, And then every eight months, uh, we meet in person somewhere around. So this November, we're going to be meeting up in Portland, Oregon, um, to, you know, go over talks, talk about the company and things and just get to know each other a little bit better when people start out with the company too. I've heard of some remote companies, you know, really never meeting people until one of their retreats. Um, But we like to have at least a week in person for training, um, much more efficient for training. And then it also just gets to know them as a real human being too. Are you involved in every hire? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily do early on interviews, but I'll always do a last interview with somebody because being a remote team too, um, along with trusting them, you got to get the right personality for folks. Um, you know, you can teach them the technical skills, but you can't teach them the personality. So that is a such a key thing too. Um, and then whenever we have hires too, I try to always, you know, we try to do most of our trainings around the New York area and I'll always go in for at least a day or two to meet them. How do you make sure, Gavin, that, I mean, it's a relatively small organization people-wise, but it Mm -hmm. is remotely dispersed. And you just talked about one point specifically about how you look, what you look for when you hire. But how do you make sure that everybody understands and gets how you want the company to behave um, how do you communicate that you feel effectively so that everybody gets how you want people to behave with customers, with vendors, with each mm-hmm. other? What what do you have in place and how do you make sure that that stays part of the culture? Whew, yeah, that's a good one. I'm not sure I'm doing everything the best way that we possibly could, but we've got at least a few good things. So now uh, we're at 36 people. So growing from, you know, like 
what, probably like four people three years ago to now 36 is a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, we might have, you know, we probably could have grown faster at some points, but the hardest thing for maintaining a culture is growing too quickly. When we've had those points, when we've hired, you know, um, six, eight people at a time, you know, which is doubling our, our size when you get to that doubling thing, that's, that's pretty hard. So doing things, we intentionally try to do things a little bit more slowly now, having that time in person when we can actually talk, um, you know, interviewing too to find those people who are the right personality gets you halfway there too. Um, and then just really during the training, um, enforcing all of that when actually after the week of in-person re- in-person training, we still have uh, remote training with people, making sure that everybody, even the developers and marketing and everybody else, talks and interacts with customers too. Because uh, that, that's one of those core things with us is right. making sure you know you have your voice, that you actually care about the customer and like, developing things around them really is part of our values. And speaking about that, you know, having that as from training from day one, I think helps us the most. Okay. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing those, those insights. If you had to look, if you had to, if you were starting over now, and let's say you were starting it as a side business again, is there something that stands out that you would do differently? Whew, I'd say I, to be honest, I probably would have left my day job a little bit sooner. I got it to the point when I was absolutely forced to make a decision and I tried to hire a way that wasn't effective at the very beginning. I think if I had left a little bit sooner where I wasn't, you know, getting so crazy stressed out and and in a rush, I would have been able to grow things a little bit slower and more methodically too. And that's the one thing I wish I had done differently. Okay, good. Thanks for sharing that. All right, we'll, we'll start to take a different turn here, but you mentioned a couple things, uh, uh, challenges, taxes, and I think you said Wayfair. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with that term. What is that? Oh, that's just an example of a recent thing, kind of like um, Way- Wayfair was just a Supreme Court ruling based off of how states deal with sales tax, where in the past we weren't subject to sales tax, and now we are. It's one of those silly little things that unless I was doing acuity, I would have never heard of either. Things like G- GDPR and everything early in the year, it's like they keep popping up. Um, <laughs> like Privacy Shield uh, right after everything else. Like all of these like little legal and operational things um, I could have gone my whole life never learning about. But now uh, <laughs> there's, yes, yeah, they explode. Yeah, <laughs> Do you, uh, I'm assuming you have uh, an attorney that you reach out to for these types of things, uh, support there for, for getting the, the clarity and, and legal uh, support that you need on these things? Oh, yeah. We've got lots of lawyers. I love the site uh, Priori Legal um, is how we find most of them. That way we're able to get people who are actually experts in the different areas, experts in privacy law or tax law or different things that we get good advice and not just generalist advice from somebody who read it in an online article too. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Excellent. All right, let's summarize the product. We've touched on it. It's it's fairly intuitive, but summarize for us what Acuity is. Yeah, so it's an online tool to help small businesses offer and manage appointments online. So you can set it up, all of your different services, the pricing and everything else, so your clients can go to your site, choose the service they want, and pick a time that is definitely available, um, fill out any um, forms you want, like their background or medical history, pay for their appointment online and have things confirmed and reminder emails go out. Um, everything's stored securely. 
um, and then follow-ups being sent afterwards. So hopefully the goal is that you as the business owner um, can be really hands-off and have people show up completely prepared, already paid to their appointments, and you can focus on what you're best at instead of all the logistics that go around appointments. Great, great stuff. And it, and as we've talked about, it uh, works for an individual practitioner, like a massage therapist, all the way up to large organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, from one person, just yourself up to dozens of locations and staff and everything else. Wonderful. All right, let's take another turn. Uh, books. I'm always interested in book recommendations. Is there something that comes to mind that you would recommend? Oh, yeah. I love reading too. And that's the biggest way I've grown. One of my favorite books is by uh, Derek Sivers. He was the CEO of CD Baby. His book is Anything You Want. Um, fantastic book because he has a business philosophy closer to me where he just wanted to really enjoy his day job and not overly pressure himself to grow or be obsessed about money or anything else. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I have not read his book, but I've listened to various of his interviews on different podcasts, and he's he's just an incredible guy. Oh, yeah. Got to read his book. Yeah, absolutely. On my list. Thank you for that recommendation. And mm -hmm. we'll have that as a link on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up here, Gavin. What's uh, one thing you'd like us to take away from this conversation, especially in this area of you know, building a, what we call a side hustle or a side business into a full-time business. What's one thing you want us to take away? Yeah. And probably one thing I really didn't touch on was that I am so happy that I did it as a side project instead of also diving in too early. I know I said I would have dove in a little bit earlier, but having my time constrained meant that we were able to really listen from people and develop things without having too much time on my hands and too much pressure to grow things too fast, too quickly. So taking it slow, um, having it on the side was absolutely something that I'd recommend people do. Don't dive in too fast. Yeah, great point. The other point I wanted to ask you about back when we were talking about that, you you quickly got to a point, very fortunately, where you were generating revenue. So that mm -hmm. decision, uh, the money was there, which is great. Often, certainly that can motivate us. I, I got to make this thing financially successful. You didn't have that. But do you think that helped with you that pressure was off so you could focus on developing it the right way, quote unquote. In other words, spending the time, uh, making sure you were listening to the customer, growing slower than necessarily somebody else might want. Do you mm -hmm. think take that financial pressure being taken off to an extent allowed you more of that? Uh, I think they go hand in hand. We were the financial pressure was off because we kept growing without having to spend marketing dollars or anything else. And that was really just because of word of mouth being shared around, which was really because we had a great product from the very beginning, which was because we listened to customers. The pressure to develop things out quickly, that was definitely taken off. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the direction we'd go or what we'd do, but the speed with which we had to do it. Um, and because we got to build out the right things in the right way, having that as a side project where I was forced to, you know, take things a little bit slower also went hand in hand. If I had too much time, but not the right things to work on, I probably would have developed a lot more of the wrong things, which would have killed the product. Mm, good, good insights. Great. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Where would you like us to go online to find out more? 
Yeah, so I will set up a link, acuityscheduling.com slash the how of business, where uh, your listeners can go to find contact information and a little bit more about what I talked about. Um, and if you are interested in Acuity, there'll be a link on there um, to sign up as well. But acuityscheduling.com slash the how of business. Perfect. Well, great, Gavin. This has been a, a great conversation. Very insightful. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for uh, answering all of my questions and being with us today. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me on here. My pleasure. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest again today was Gavin Suklinski. And uh, we release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.